the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, guys, we got a really, really great uh, interview coming up here in just a second. Um, I, I know there's some great football news coming out, but uh, I would be very remiss if we didn't uh, go to our guest right away. Well, we are very excited to be joined today by Lisa Byington. Uh, you would recognize her from Big Ten Network, Fox, Fox Sports 1, um, pretty much everywhere uh, that you find basketball, football. I mean, Lisa, you're just a, a Jill of all trades. Um, thank you so much for joining <laughs> on, jumping on with us tonight. Yeah, you know, I always say that if um, if if they'll help me pay the bills, I'll work for you. So, you know, no matter what the sport, no matter what the network, but I'm happy to be on, guys. Um, you know, I'm going to say this is a this is a new podcast for me, but a lot of my Northwestern people have spoken very highly of you guys in this podcast. So, uh, so I'm excited to be on for the first time. Well, uh, hopefully, we live up to the expectations. Um, we want, really wanted to bring you on to talk uh, Northwestern women's hoops. Um, back when you were at Northwestern, you played on the team. Uh, you covered the team for the uh, Big Ten tournament uh, as, as short of a outing as it was. Uh, just kind of interested, um, how how do you view this team in comparison to some of the best Northwestern women's teams of all time? Mm, wow, big question right out of the gate. <laughs> you know, I mean, you have to, I guess, compare it to – the other championship team, um, you know, they had uh, Myra, Nancy, Kennelly, um, you know, two legendary guards in terms of Northwestern lore when you go back to the early 90s. And, you know, I mean, the game has changed so much. You, you talk about the game changing on the men's side. Well, the game has changed on the women's side as well. And it's, it's really with this team, you know, I, I think with the 90s team, you would see you know, you are, you are a true point guard, you're a true shooting guard, you're a post, you're a back to the basket post. And, and you don't necessarily see that with some of the key pieces on this Northwestern team this year. I mean, Abby Shai, for example, is one of those stretch fours that can shoot the three. She led the country in three point field goal percentage. You have a, you know, a Lindsay Pulliam who has stretched her game out and um, not only is just a, a two point shooter, but she's expanded her game, improved her shot. So now she can be a, a three-point shooting threat. Um, you know, they played a little bit more um, pressure defense than I think the, the earlier teams at Northwestern, those 90s teams did under Don Pirelli. Um, but, you know, when you look at the coaches, I, I think there are actually some similarities there in the fact that you usually can't equate success with programs with longevity. And, and I talk about that, especially like um, in, in the football world. You know, I, one of my first jobs was in Lansing, Michigan, and I covered Michigan State pretty, pretty closely. And when they were kind of cycling through football coaches and athletic directors, they didn't have the kind of success that they did once they found stability with their men's basketball coach with their football coach and Mark D'Antonio at the time, you know, with their athletic director. So um, I think I equate that across every university and Northwestern women's basketball was kind of the same way. So you had Don Pirelli coaching through those nineties and um, there wasn't a whole lot of turnover. And then when he retired in 1999, um, you know, there was, there was some turnover there about, you know, a couple of two or three different head coaches and there was no stability at all. And so um, when, when Joe McEwen came in, 
he again offered that stability um, and that longevity that Don Pirelli similarly provided the program. So I think styles of play are much, much different when you compare the two championship programs. But I think there's a lot of similarities that you can find with the head coaches and, and what they've done respectively, but in different ways at Northwestern. It's funny you talk about that. I mean, it is funny to take someone like Abby Scheid and put it in perspective and be like, this is, you're talking about the best three point shooter in the country. If she's playing in the early 90s, is she taking threes? Like, I don't, it's just. No, I don't think she is, you know. I think, you know, Abby Wolf, um, who's more of their back to the basket kind of player, and she's more of that traditional player, but you just don't see that a whole lot in post. It's so funny because you don't find post players who actually like to play in the post anymore. And and it, it's just, it's, it's mind-boggling to me. But um, no, I mean, when you talk about like Patricia Babcock-McGraw, um, who, you know, was one of the premier post players back in the early 90s, I mean, she was a lefty, back him up, you know, physical, back-to-the-basket kind of post. Like, you wouldn't see her pull out like Abby Scheid does and, and knock down the three. And, and I think people who weren't familiar with Northwestern, you know, they see the name Abby Scheid atop the country in terms of three-point field goal percentage, and you're thinking she's a guard. Um, but, she, you know, she's, she's a lanky shooter in, a, in kind of a, a post body. But she can pull out, and she can knock it down. I'm curious, you know, building on that, I mean, again, we, you know, right off the bat, like we said, we're curious – because of your proximity, again, you were part of a great program. We were kind of talking before the pod of um, the, the parallel between the teams you were a part of and then um, the Nia Coffey, Joe McEwen team, and then this Joe McEwen team in terms of teams making a deep NIT run and then going to the tournament the final year um, and just those top teams. But then you just brought up something that I think is really important. You were talking about stability within a program, right? And the idea that, okay, so you have this long continuity, you have this stable thing. Well, one of the reasons we were really interested to have you on is you have the proximity to Northwestern program, but you've also been up close and personal with some of the blue bloods of women's basketball. Um, I mean, you've, I mean, you've broadcast, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, you've broadcast UConn hoops, you've broadcast Lady Vol hoops, um, have you broadcast some of the other, I mean, you know, the Baylors, the South Carolinas, et cetera? I'm not really sure. Um, I haven't crossed over, but I've done UConn. I've done Tennessee, um, Stanford uh, at the non-conference game in the Big Ten. So, so yeah, yeah, I've crossed over in that way for sure. So, um, and, and it's when you, Yeah, when you watch those, the top programs, and you see not only that stability, but that stability of just – this ultra high level of success. And you talked about the women's team changing, but I mean, even as it's changed, I still feel like you have this stratification where, I mean, I was texting the guys the other day watching, I think UConn was playing, I want to say USF or something. And they were up 40 or something. And I was thinking that's the, like USF was like the number four team in the conference and they're just getting, so I mean, my, this is all uh, leading me to say like, okay, so if you have this upper echelon, these traditional blue bloods, where do you see this Northwestern team stacking up having, you know, in pertinent person called and witnessed that level of play from those levels of program? How do these cats compare? Um, you know, I, I think, um, Depth-wise, uh, well, you know, UConn doesn't really go that deep. Um, 
you know, it's, it's something where I felt like Northwestern was very fortunate this year and, and, and not having any major injuries. I think that helped them. You know, they, they go six or seven deep. Um, you know, they're, they're not going to push and shove you around. They're not going to be maybe um, as physical or as strong as, as sometimes like an SEC conference tends to be. Um, you know, they don't have the five-star All-Americans that will line up and like almost one through five, it seems like in some years that UConn has, you know. So I, I think they've gotten some really good, um, you know, if, if you go off of the star system, some three-star players, you know, Nia Coffey was kind of that four or five-star player that was unique to Northwestern. But I think to, you know, consistently compete with some of those upper echelon programs, maybe that's the next step, you know, maybe that's the next recruiting step is now that they have a championship under their belt, maybe they, they catch the eye of a, of a couple of recruits who are only looking at, some of the top five programs that are rated across the country. So now maybe they're looking at Northwestern, but um, the winning consistency, I think is there like the, the base is there. I think it needs to go up another level now for Northwestern to be able to, to put themselves side by side as a program with some of the Stanford's, the Baylor's, the, the South Carolina's, the Louisville's um, and, and the Yukon's. So in the short term, um, we don't know where Northwestern's going yet for the women's tournament. We're relatively confident they're going to get a top four seed. Um, and if some of the mock drafts are to believe are, are, are to be believed, they could end up in a bracket with Oregon and UConn and <laughs> uh, some of these other powers. Like from from the like the short term this year, like how, like how far can, can they really realistically go from from your perspective? Yeah, I think I think you just you nailed it on the head. It, it all depends on their seating and and the bracket. And unfortunately, if we're just talking not just Northwestern, but if we're talking about Big Ten women's basketball as a whole, they haven't had great pairings and they haven't had great seedings in the past. And so now you get a situation where you're sitting in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, and no Big Ten teams have survived. So no one's talking about the Big Ten conference. And so, so that's the key is, is for me, I think to get out of that first weekend should be the goal of, of, of every, of every big 10 team. Now you got a Maryland who's going to be a number one seed most likely, you know, I mean, their goal should be to get to the final four, not just out of that first weekend. But I feel like everybody else, like, you know, short and simple, make it short and simple, get out of that first weekend somehow. And then, and then once you do that, you just never know. But it's, you know, the women's side is challenging. It's, it's really challenging in the fact that they have it set up to favor the, the really top seeds. And, and, and they should because that's where the women's game is still at. You know, it's, it's going to be hard to go into an Oregon or um, a, a regional that's going to be close out there to Oregon and, and win. And likewise, in the past with, with the Yukons and that sort of thing, um, South Carolina, like who wants to go to South Carolina or North Carolina and play arguably a, a team that could win the national championship down there. So once you get to that point, it's, it's really going to be hard um, to advance, but it, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but I, for a goal for Northwestern, I would say try to get beyond that first weekend and then see, and then see what happens. Um, you know, we, we've talked, you know, you lose to Michigan uh, after beating them twice during the regular season. 
uh, cut short, you know, what they, I'm sure they were hoping would be a, a pretty deep uh, Big Ten tournament run. What, what kind of mentality do you think that gives the team kind of going into, uh, selection Sunday and, and then on into the tournament? Uh, or I guess it's selection Monday. Um, you know, does that kind of, would that loss maybe put a chip on their shoulder where they may, might not have had it after kind of, uh, coasting down the end of the regular season? Yeah, I hope it does. You know, it can. I think it can go either one or two ways, right? You could have that edge that you're referencing, or you could it could put some self doubt in you. That you know, it's it. They got to sit on it, right? And so with the with the way the women's tournament is set up, you have like this whole week <laughs> to uh, either think about, oh, we're great because we just won the conference championship, or you know, we got bounced in the first round of the conference tournament, and so. Um, they can use this time to individually get better and, and develop that edge, which I hope is, is what happens with them. And, and I hope that they just don't forget everything that they've been able to do, you know, um, accomplish things that have never been seen before in, in school history in terms of the amount of wins that they have overall, the amount of conference wins. Those are the things that they have to, to focus on. You know, it's, it's tough in the conference tournament, and, and I think you see it on the men's side, too, where the top four seeds get that double bye, and it can go one of two ways. It can go great if you get the rest and you need the rest, but it can also backfire on you in the fact that those top four seeds are sitting and, and waiting for a while. I don't think it's any coincidence that this year, not only Northwestern as the number two seed, but Iowa, who played in the game after them, as the number three seed just came out awful. I mean, some of, some of the worst basketball I've seen both of those respective schools play. And you think about it, they had to wait the longest to play uh, a game in the conference tournament. They had to wait all the way to not only Friday, but they had to wait till the evening session on Friday. And I think that is actually the most challenging draw that, that you can get if you're one of the top four seeds. It's almost better, like, if you're not going to be the number one seed, in my, in my opinion, um, in the conference tournament, the way the Big Ten has it set up, it's almost better to just be, at least for the first game, to be the number four seed because then you're playing in that afternoon session, you know, so you, you get it out of the way. Now, of course, you, then you'd have to, to face the number one seed in the semis. But you got to face them anyhow. So I was just thinking about that. Like the number two and the number three seed, they just, it's an uphill climb (laughs) to, to come out, to come out hot and, uh, to try to advance into Saturday. It's, it's funny when you talk about kind of catching a team at the right time or a team, you know, catching them at a time that they don't want to be playing or when they've sat too long, et cetera. We keep thinking back. We Sam and I in particular have kind of had this mental hurdle we can't get over in our mind that's been going the entire back half of this season because we were at a game you called, which was that December 30th Northwestern Maryland game. And this entire time when Northwestern's been chasing Maryland in the polls, Sam and I have been sitting there being like, that team? We watched that team get destroyed. <laughs> Uh, we watched Maryland. It's like, if you would only watch those two teams play that night, you'd be like, I don't understand what Maryland, but it's like, obviously Maryland absolutely got it together after that game. Um, but it's funny. One of the, the common things thinking about that game and, and the experience of watching this Northwestern team play in person, um, is you talked about it earlier, but Lindsay Pulliam 
And I mean, Abby Shide certainly, but Pulliam is one who I think really jumps out to us is when you see her in person, you talk about the game evolving over time, just the size of a player like that relative to how amazing she is at handling the ball. And it's kind of got us thinking down time to like, she's someone that we would expect to be a player drafted into the WNBA. Um, and obviously I think Shied is, is talked about as someone who could potentially be drafted. You know, you have Nia coffee already. You are, you know, obviously you're a broadcaster for the Chicago sky. Like you have, you're up close and personal. Where do you see, you know, given all that, the way that the game has evolved, given all these blue bloods who are pumping talent into the WNBA, how do you see, you know, a, a Nia Coffey and then, you know, coming down the road and Abby Shida, Lindsay Pulliam, even a Veronica Burton, how do you see their game transitioning to the pro level of the current game? I think all of them could, could definitely play overseas. It's, it's so hard to make a WNBA roster these days because there's not that many teams and then um, the roster size is not that big. So, you know, you're, you're talking about what, like a 12-player a roster um, and, and very minimal teams in the league. And so um, there's still a lot of vets right now in the league that, that take up some of that roster space. Like for, for Lindsey Pulliam, you know, when you still have like the Sue Birds playing and the Diana Taurasi still playing <laughs> right. at that guard position – you know, and they, it's like, when are you going to retire? But, um, you know, they're not, they're not going to push them out. They're not going to push them out. So, um, you know, I, I think maybe with some of those players, um, they, you know, I, I think going overseas first, maybe. Um, I, I think the, the one who might be WNBA ready out of all of them that you listed might be a polium. You know, I, I think especially if she can continue to get more accurate with her three point shot. Um, defense is a little bit more of an emphasis than maybe people realize. I'll give you an example that, you know, last year, uh, Megan Gustafson out of Iowa was the national player of the year. And everyone thought that she would be a sure bet to make the WNBA. And every time I was calling an Iowa game, I would see a WNBA head coach there and I would just try to pick their brain a little bit. And they would all say, you know, how can she defend the pick and roll? Because that's such a big area in the pro game is the pick and roll and um you know the two-player game so how can she defend it not not how how can she handle it offensively can she make the flip can she whatever it's how can she defend it defensively it's the lateral quickness and that sort of thing so um sort of the read reacts if if you're a guard you know you got to be able to read the screen and and know how to use it and at pro level which is something different that a, a lot of uh, college kids aren't used to. So there's a lot of nuances and a lot of aspects to the pro game that I think takes a little bit of an adjustment for a lot of players. I'm going to throw this out there too, is that Palace Kunai Akpano was one of my favorite players to play at Northwestern. And I know that she's been working on her game and she's actually been uh, dabbling with, I believe the Nigerian national team. Now, uh, she tried out with the Chicago Sky, I know, last year and got cut. But I'm hearing great things about her development in terms of um, just being able to increase her range, become more accurate, um, become more than just an athletic basketball player, but becoming a basketball player. And uh, to me, I actually, there's a player for Northwestern that I wouldn't be surprised if she keeps developing 
in the next five years or so, I wouldn't be surprised to all of a sudden look at my roster and see a Palace Kunayatana on my WNBA roster that I got to call a game there. And so I would be ecstatic if that happens because she was actually one of my favorites um, to call a game and not because it took me 20 hours to figure out how to say her name, but <laughs> <laughs> because of uh, just because of the way she played. I just, I just really feel like she is just really, really talented and, and the sky could be the limit for her. It's funny you bring her up because the, the next thing I wanted to ask about was, you know, it, it, talking about the pro potential of, of who's on the team now, I'm, I'm curious about the pipeline and where the program is going. You know, you, you talked earlier about the longevity uh, and, and success of a program like Northwestern had in the 90s, and we're, we're hoping, right, that, that McCune can go on that kind of run now. We were really worried coming off of last year um, and losing Palace uh, to graduation. What, what She was such a huge part of what the Cats did on both ends of the floor um, last season. And, you know, we, we knew Shai was a great shooter. The emergence of Wolf and, and the emergence of um, the, I forget what they call it, the blizzard defense, I believe uh, they call it, um, I, I think has been really effective this year. We know that we're losing both of those front court players going into next season. We've got um, some, some high-end recruits, Anna Morris, Paige Mott coming in, but you, pro- you probably expect some drop-off in the front court play. The guard depth is incredible and uh, remains incredible. But um, as you see, you know Northwestern transitioning to next year. We, we talked a little bit about how they how they compare to some of the national uh, big programs within the Big Ten. Like, do, does it does it feel like the Cats have the pieces they need to to build on this year and um, and continue to uh, to vie for a conference championship in in the next you know one two seasons? You hope so. If you have a, if you first of all, if you have already experienced success, which this this core group has, you you hope that that will carry over into the future. That it's been done before. We've been here before. This isn't new. This isn't intimidating. This isn't scary. That we can do it again. And then when you have a piece that, um, like a Lindsey Polium, who could potentially be a, a Big Ten Player of the Year, uh, and and you still have that coming back, um, I think the future is very bright. Now, I, I think you're also correct in that, um, you know, the inside game or, or your front court players will be probably one of the biggest question marks for next year. Um, I will say this. I, I think Joe McEwen and um, – but not only Joe, but just his staff did a, a fantastic job. And especially developing, we call them the two Abbeys, with Abby Scheid and Abby Wolf. You know, Kate Popovic was, was more of the back-to-the-basket coach, so she would work a little bit more intimately with Abby Wolf in the last few years, uh, Tangela Smith, who was a WNBA player and, and one of the best to ever play at Iowa, was more of your face-up kind of post. So she's the mm-hmm. one that worked with Abby Scheid. And, and I'm just so impressed at um, Preston Reed is the one who kind of worked with, with Lindsay Pulliam in terms of, of creating her range that we've already discussed and becoming more of a three-point shooter this year. So even though that there are unknowns in particular – um, in, at the front court level, I, I think that we've seen that Joe McEwen has the staff in his assistance that have have created that just unbelievable improvement with some of those players that they can take some of these unknowns and, and you can make them the best three-point shooter, the most accurate three-point shooter in the country. You can take an Abby Wolf and, and, be, and create her into a double-digit score this year, something that she hasn't ever done before. 
So um, just because we don't know much about all the other pieces that might be coming in for, for next year, um, you know, that's where assistant coaches earn their money. <laughs> right. And, um, and, and they certainly, I, I, they should get raises. If Joe McEwen's listening, they should get raises <laughs> after this year for sure. Here, here. So I was curious, you know, obviously we, we know you're busier in New York city right now about to broadcast big East tournament basketball. Um, the, We've we're we're furiously biting our tongues not to venture into football territory because that's that's a topic for another day. We could go forever. Um, there's there's only one thing you know that I, I'm kind of curious about. Um, it's mainly a basketball question, but obviously you do so much work relative to BTN, what relative to Big Ten football, college football, and also a ton of work relative to college basketball. Um, and you know when we have sportscasters, sports writers, et cetera, on the pod, we're always kind of interested to hear, okay, so in that kind of inside baseball world, et cetera, what's the conversation like relative to Northwestern sports? Um, and, I, you know, we kind of think back to, okay, when Northwestern two years ago, again, feels like so long ago, but two years ago, you know, won the Big Ten West and then talking to people and being like, okay, so what was that conversation like? You know, people, obviously there are a lot of Northwestern journalists, but out in the, the college football world in general, how are you hearing the Northwestern name rise? And as someone I feel like who, you know, within the college football world was present for that relative to the football team, and now is present for this relative to the basketball game, basketball team, uh, are there any parallels there? Are there any parallels you're seeing where you're like, oh, I find myself hearing more about NU, you know, than I would have in the past, or they're part of the conversation, et cetera? I I find that most people root for the Northwestern story, and and regardless of what sport it's going to be, men's basketball or football or women's basketball or lacrosse, you know, you name it. That I think Northwestern is a very likable school. And, and university to root for. I also find that people seem to be surprised when Northwestern equates itself to a highly successful sports story that year, whether it's the West Division title, whether it's the Big Ten championship this year. Um, you know, for example, um, you know, a lot of people were saying, well, you know, Northwestern women's basketball this year was kind of the sleeper team. They were the surprise team. They no one saw it coming. And and it was one of my friends who's actually a, a basketball coach in the ACC and and uh and she has some Big 10 ties, so she still follows the Big 10 stories, but she said, "I don't get that dialogue at all because you have a Northwestern team that were runners up in the WNIT last year and now they have like their core group back." She said, "Where is this coming from that like why, you know, why is there the dialogue that for some schools they make a run in the WNIT, and so that's going to give them momentum next year. Why does that give some schools momentum, but for Northwestern, it was a surprise that it gave them momentum. This is what so, we've been asking um, all you know, season. We've been asking this question. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it, it, was, it was a great and valid point um, because I just, like I said, I think people root for Northwestern, but they're surprised when they do well. And, and I would love, and I don't know if it's, if uh, Northwestern's turning the corner with some of the facilities and some of the other money and the attention that, uh, that is kind of being pumped in. Um, but 
at some point, I think the consistency of success, I would love to see that in the future because the dialogue right now is not always just the respect of they expect Northwestern to be in the top five or the top three. The respect conversation and dialogue, in my opinion, just isn't there year in and year out. And and it's more of a, a surprise factor, like, oh, look at Northwestern. They were the sleeper team in the West Division. Look at Northwestern. I never saw them coming in women's basketball. How'd they win the Big Ten championship? So I would love to see that that script flipped at some point, but it has to go both ways, right? You, you can't have a West Division year, and, and granted, not, you know, with quarterback situation and that sort of thing, there were various reasons why they didn't have a West Division championship year this year. But you got to have, you got to consistently, in my opinion, with these sports, finish top five, top three for people outside of Evanston and in the national dialogue to, to stop being surprised about Northwestern success. Oh, well, Lisa, I know you've got a very busy schedule coming up in March here, and we really appreciate uh, you taking even this much time to sit down with us. Um, Definitely looking forward to, to seeing your work in the Big East tournament and then on into the big dance. Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's um it's so exciting. I mean, one of uh just a couple of years ago, so my one of my favorite broadcasting moments was covering Loyola Chicago, actually, and the Sister Jean story. And I was able to cover the regional when they were in Atlanta uh for CBS and Turner and I just I remember the regional championship game and uh, Loyola was, was getting set to play Kansas state and I was a sideline reporter. So my first hit was coming out of a commercial break and the place was sold out. And, you know, I, I play one shining moment like over and over again, especially as a, <laughs> as a little kid. And, uh, and so I just, I took that moment uh, in the commercial break and, and I was standing on the court waiting to come back on the air. And I, I kind of did like a 360 on the court. And I just, I made myself kind of look up into the corners of the upper deck and, and just kind of take it all in because I just feel, you know, so fortunate to be a part, a small part of of the coverage of March Madness and, and something that I, I grew up watching and all those stories, the great stories, the Sister Jean stories, the upset stories, even the favorites, you know coming through and winning championships. It's just, it's, it's ultimately, I know it's kind of cliche, but for me, it's just as a basketball junkie, it's the best time of year. So uh, it's busy in March for sure, but it's, it's really a fun busy and I wouldn't have it any other way. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time to jump on with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. We'll, uh, we'll have to catch up down the road where we can talk a little more football. Yeah, we've apparently we got like a Peyton quarterback to talk about now. Huh? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> We'll save that for another time. But thanks so much for having me on, guys. Keep doing the good work. Uh, once again, that's Lisa Byington. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on. I definitely really, really appreciate it. Um, and, you know, as she mentioned, there is some uh, some football news to talk yeah, about. I, yeah, she yeah, teed us up uh, well. Li- yeah, uh, like – like Lisa, we want to talk Peyton Ramsey. Unlike Lisa, we don't have to run off and cover Big East basketball right now. So we'll 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 talk a little and Northwestern transfer madness. Yeah. So uh, former Indiana quarterback Peyton Ramsey uh, makes the announcement that he's transferring to Northwestern for his uh, grad transfer season, um, just further muddying the 
the waters of the, the Northwestern quarterback room. I mean, holy shnikes, there's what, now seven guys in there who've started games in the past 12 months? I, I tell you what, though, like we talked about it on our last podcast, and of the of the names that were out there, Jack Sears was the other kind of big one from USC, right, that was being bandied about. Like this, this feels like the prize um, in some ways in that Ramsey is a proven starting quarterback in the Big Ten with multiple years of experience and some big wins to his name, right? Like um, I, I just – It'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. I, 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 I guess I'll focus here just just from the standpoint of there's a lot we don't know. Um, what we do know, courtesy of a great article in the Daily, um, uh, the Daily Northwestern, what yesterday, is that Ramsey called his dad, who is a um, a head football coach at one of the big high schools uh, here in Cincinnati, Ohio. And to tell him that he was entering the transfer portal and his dad hangs up the phone, <laughs> looks across the desk at the guys he's meeting with, and who happened to be Tim McGarrigal, Northwestern, uh, Northwestern coach, and then um, Mike Tressel, uh, who is now the interim head coach at, at Michigan State, and says, hey, guys, you're going to want to hear this. <laughs> and, and, right, and right away, you know, Bajakian's on the phone with Ramsey, uh, you know, to try to start wooing him in. Yeah, it was. And again, like Scott said, I mean, Ramsey is truly the prize. And it's funny for as bloated as the quarterback room currently is right now, um, there is a kind of stunning paucity of guys in there with a track record of an extended track record of success at the college level. It's basically just Peyton Ramsey. And it's kind of crazy to say, and obviously it's still an open quarterback competition. And you all know, you listen to our, um, you listen to us talk about this. You know that um, we are firmly in Hunter Johnson's corner. Um, you know, it's like we're clear eyed and it's like, this is a legit competition. If Peyton Ramsey's the guy to get the job, then he's the guy to get the job. We want to win football games. We would love to see these guys, um, you know, some of the guys who are already in the program from Hunter on down really get a chance to succeed. We didn't think they got last year. Um, as Scuzz said, Charlie Goldsmith's piece in the Daily, just fantastic. I encourage everyone to read it. There's a lot going on there. But for me, I really boiled it down to two major things about two major things about this article. Um one, Ramsey listed the top three reasons why he picked Northwestern. And they're dynamic reasons, but number one with a bullet, and he doesn't exactly word it this way, but he said number one with a bullet is he thinks he's going to get a chance to play. I went into the process with a couple of things I was looking for, and the first one was going to be a place where my abilities would be utilized. That's just him saying, I think I'm going to start. Now, we don't know that that's true, and we don't know how any of this is going to shake out. But as we kind of talked last week, that's what's on Peyton Ramsey's mind. The other thing that really jumped out to me, and I'm not trying to stand on Conspiracy Corner here or anything. You can read anything into it. You can read nothing into it. Get your tinfoil hats, people. Oh, yeah. The two guys who hosted Ramsey for his weekend visit to Northwestern were Riley Lees and Kyra. Yeah, I noticed that too. Uh And you're talking, again, 
read anything you want into it, read nothing into it. I'm just, those are the top two returning receivers for Northwestern football, choosing to devote a heck of a lot of their time to a quarterback who's not yet a Northwestern quarterback coming in for a recruit. And again, I, you know, there's just so many moving parts. We know the whole disaster of last season. We have our own opinions on it and everything, but one thing you can certainly gather all of this up and say is that there is a darn, darn good chance Peyton Ramsey is our starting quarterback uh, come next season. So, so I'm going to take it. I'm, I'm going to take a slightly different view on what on the that quote you just talked about, John, because Peyton Ramsey coming out of high school was a pro style quarterback, relatively well, well regarded in rivals. Uh, uh, only two stars, but um, listed as a pro style quarterback. We know he's mobile. Uh, he can move around. Last year at Indiana, attempted 300 passes, rushed 252, uh, rushed for 252 yards on 97 attempts. He was the second leading rusher uh, for Indiana. Michael Penix only had 22 rushes, but like that moving quarterback thing, it, it it seems to have been a big part of Indiana's offense. And if Penix hadn't been injured, I'm, I'm sure you know they might they might have tried to to run more with him. But it, I wonder if this system feels like a much better fit for him. And we've gotten some, um, I'll say some light insider reports out of practice. And it sounds like there's a lot more passing in this new system. And the QBs, as a result, are playing a lot harder. I think it just became a lot more exciting and interesting to be a quarterback at Northwestern than it has in the past. And I certainly believe that Peyton Ramsey wouldn't have come to Northwestern if he didn't think he had a shot at winning the job and playing. But I also think that there's... There's some potential here that uh, that just bodes well for the program overall. Is I guess those are the tea leaves I'm reading. And you know, he's not going to be on campus for spring practice. I mean, he still has to finish up uh, some classes work at Indiana. So I, you know, I, I don't think he'll be able to to be on for spring practice. Like I could be wrong. He might like, just the way the timing works out. He might be able to come jump in the last couple of days, but I'd be surprised um, if that were the case. So, you know, you've got him coming into a room of guys who've had spring practice in this new offense, uh, which sounds like it's going to be a new up-tempo, more passing. Um, thank God for that. Yes, uh, yes, and more yes. <laughs> but, you know, if, if he's going to be jumping in and his first you know, reps are going to be in the summer, you know, does that put him behind the eight ball or – is that that just you know he's like whatever I'm going to come in and I'm going to win the job, let's go. Yeah, it's a lot of questions, and of course the question that dovetails with that is: Is this giant bloated quarterback room right now going to thin out at all? And um, it was interesting to see you know Stuart Mandel and Teddy Greenstein went back and forth on Twitter a little bit about you know and Teddy made the good point that look Northwestern. Um, it's Northwestern is not most places, right? And a lot of guys who might transfer out of another football program don't transfer out of a Northwestern football program because of the culture and, and because um, of what that degree on the wall right, says. Exactly, exactly the the culture, the degree, everything. Um, with that said, you've got guys who I mean, by Trent Green already hold. I mean, TJ Green. <laughs> TJ Green already holding a Northwestern degree. Aiden Smith most likely is going to have his Northwestern diploma in the spring. Um, and those are two guys who have one year of eligibility left. And, you know, so, I, and again, I, 
the portal being the portal, I don't know what opportunities there are for those guys at the FBS or the FCS level. I certainly look at a guy like TJ Green and I think what I've always thought about him, which is like that guy's a, you know, Ivy League championship caliber quarterback right there. You put that guy on like a Yale, he's going to lead them straight to the title. So I'll be really curious. And then, of course, Hunter Johnson has two years of eligibility. Andrew Marty has two years of eligibility. Scuzz highlighted both of those guys in last week's pod as guys who are angry and hungry right now um, and are just like, let me at the field. I want that job. So how does that all factor in? Are they ready to just go head to head? You know, just with those three guys, just with those two guys and Peyton Ramsey, you're talking a three headed quarterback race. And that doesn't factor in either of the seniors. So. I, I mean, again, yes, Northwestern's a special place, but on the other hand, if you're carrying a Northwestern degree and you can transfer to, say, I don't know, throw out a rent Cornell or something and tack a Cornell graduate degree onto a Northwestern undergraduate degree and finally get some playing time at quarterback, that seems like it would be an attractive thing. So I have no inside knowledge of how any of this is going to shake out. I just know you got a heck of a lot of guys in that room with not a heck of a lot of eligibility, and it feels like something has to give. Yeah, I, mean, I could see Aiden transferring. I just, to me, TJ Green with his injury and the recovery that path that he's on, having already applied for a waiver for a six-year of eligibility, I, like, I don't know how the how the rules and regs work around all that, but I I just can't imagine at this stage he wants to, to shift gears and be rehabbing somewhere different with a different staff and and – who knows if anybody would even take a shot, you know, not, not knowing when, when, or if he's going to be able to, to play next season. Um, it just, I I'll be the, the one, the one for me, uh, frankly, is Hunter. Like if, if, if for some reason, I mean, who knows how close he is to his degree that he could, he could potentially be a grad transfer, not lose another, another year, um, changing schools. But, um, but I don't know. We'll see. It's, it's, it's interesting. And I will say like, this this does this feels overall like a really good thing vis-a-vis increased competition legit increased competition and also a guy that you'd feel pretty good if if Ramsey's our starting QB starting the year as we as we said last week Mike Bajakian beyond thrilled this guy is like this is great He's thinking right now, I am going to put all these guys through the paces and I'm going to find a winner and he's going to be a good quarterback. Yep. Well, we will definitely uh, watch all of this unveil, um, you know, keep our eyes on that. Uh, you know, by the time we come back next week, we will probably know the, well, we will know the destination of the Northwestern women's uh, basketball team in the NCAA tournament. Uh, so we'll have that to talk about next week. Um, and I, let's go ahead and just leave it there for tonight. Um, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Westlaw Pirates. And you can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.